With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. to the Pet Place Radio Show, the program for people who are true animal fans. I'm Murray Hewitt, and this morning we're going to be talking with Judy Reen Singer, the author of a fabulous book called An Inconvenient Elephant. Hmm. That reminds me about the old joke about the elephant sitting on the fence. Oh, well. <laughs> anyway, I am certainly looking forward to Judy's visit. Then after our halftime break, Kathy Brodsky, the author of a wonderful collection of children's books about animals, will be stopping by and talking about what it was like to create these little gems. Great stuff is coming right up, so keep it tuned to Retro 1260 for another exciting edition of the Pet Place Radio Show. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. Right now, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. It's Judy Reen Singer, the author of An Inconvenient Elephant. <laughs> what a great title. Good morning and welcome to the Pet Place, Judy. Thanks so much, Marie. I was uh, talking earlier in the show about how uh, an inconvenient elephant reminded me of the old joke of... Uh, what time is it when an elephant sits on your fence? It's time to get a new fence. You've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> I looked up so many elephant jokes for that book. I've, I'm a walking compendium of useless elephant jokes. <laughs> <laughs> well, an inconvenient elephant, that's certainly an intriguing title. So tell me, what is your connection with elephants? Um, I love elephants. I developed a passion for elephants when I was a child, and my mom brought me to the uh, Prospect Park Zoo in Brooklyn, and they had an elephant named Judy, and I thought they named the elephant after me. (laughs) And I would sit and watch her, and I just fell in love. You never know why these passions develop, why some people become cat people and some people become horse people, um, I became an elephant person. I don't know why, but I just love them. Okay, and aside from the zoo, uh, have you had any uh, opportunity to visit elephants in the wild or in their natural habitat? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I had uh, the wonderful experience of going to Kenya and um, just watching some orphan baby elephants at, at a sanctuary that was uh, started for them. You, you couldn't do hands-on. You couldn't touch them. But I had adopted some uh, baby elephants as foster children, Aww. and so I was <laughs> able to go and visit them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was a remarkable experience. Wow! And and how are all those elephants doing? Are they are they still keeping in touch with you and writing letters regularly? <laughs> 
Yes, they do. (laughs) I get a monthly letter, and the nice thing is I don't have to send them to college. I don't have to save up for their marriages or or do anything like that. I just send a little money every year and uh, ensure that they're they're well cared for and being fed and and taken care of very very well until they're released back into the wild, which is the whole purpose of it. Oh, that's wonderful. And tell me a little bit, where does your book, An Inconvenient Elephant, fit into all of this? Well, I um, I had met an elephant. I was introduced to an elephant that was in a local sanctuary, and her story touched me deeply. She had been napalmed in Vietnam during the war, and she was an infant and very badly burned, mm-hmm. and uh, she has some resulting scars and when when I first came into her presence and looked up at her, I was so touched and so humiliated that, that people could do this type of atrocity to a living creature. And I resolved that I wanted to do something to, to make elephants in the wild less susceptible to human predators. And really that's why I started writing uh, my the, the first elephant book, uh, Still Life with Elephant, and then the sequel to it, An Inconvenient Elephant. And then it came to my attention that there was an elephant, a big, beautiful elephant in Africa that was shot and killed uh, because he became an inconvenience to the local camp people. Um, he, You know, people would throw him food, and then that would attract him back into the camp and he would overturn a car or two or seven, I think, Uh-oh. and uh, you know to get the food like the bears do sure, in Yellowstone sure. Park. Mm-hmm. And but an elephant is very big, and he became uh, a nuisance to the Zimbabwean government, and they shot him. And I just thought that was a, just an atrocity. It is because it was only because of the acts of human beings that bec- he became a nuisance in the first. Absolutely. And if people would learn how to treat wild animals as wild animals, which means you don't feed them, you don't try to encourage them to do one thing one day and get mad at them the next day for doing that very thing, everybody would be so much better off. That's exactly right. The the sad thing is that we need to set up sanctuaries um, and try to replicate the wild when we could just leave them alone in the wild. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, human beings have always had a difficult time learning how to live with their wild neighbors. I mean, even in the cities and the urban areas where we have coyotes and opossums and skunks and raccoons, there are always confrontations and the animals always lose. Everybody says they're the problem, and then they end up getting killed, the yeah. animals. Yeah, it's it's really tragic. It's very frustrating for me, and as I'm sure it is very frustrating for you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and especially that these elephants um, set up migratory routes that really, if they're respected, they wouldn't be encroaching uh, on farms in Africa, and they're they're shot for their ivory, so then there's a, a... a dearth. There's a, a there's a tremendous amount of of um, orphan babies that are loose, or the um, they just they just recently found a baby shot in the head. The spear still in, embedded in his head, starving to death. The mother had obviously been poached for the for her ivory, 
because African elephants, the females, have tusks as well. And luckily he was saved and operated on, but, um, I mean, this is disgraceful. It is. And, I, you know, I'm very sad to learn that there is still such a significant ivory trade that's going on. And I, I just don't understand why that is continuing. Because people buy ivory. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if there was no market, it, there wouldn't be a trade. But um, there's there's a there's a huge black market uh, in illegal ivory, and there's and the Zimbabwean government unfortunately takes advantage of that. And do they so, turn a blind eye to it? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And they're allowing ivory to be sold. And there's a lot of there's a very active ivory trade in Europe. Uh, they still use it for statues and jewelry and and all sorts of artifacts and sell it, and it's a huge market. I'm just so surprised because I would think, especially in Europe where they have so many better humane laws than we have here in the United States, that they would completely turn their backs on anything like that. Yeah, yeah, you would think. <laughs> you would think that they <sighs> would be more protective, but there's a there's just a huge ivory trade, and these animals are poached for for their tusks, and the babies are left orphans to just die. That makes me so sad. But on top of that, the uh, animals that are here in zoos and circuses and rodeos and roadside attractions, they don't have a, a better life either, do they? No, they don't. Uh, the circus. I, I'm against circuses. Uh, I mean, I think it's wonderful to have performing people because it's their choice, and they do wonderful acrobatic things and dances and magic tricks, and, and I think that's so entertaining. But these animals live in very small cages and are moved on trains from venue to venue, and they don't have any kind of a natural life. Um, and they are trained for the most part by very tor uh, torturous methods with electric shock, with whips, and just for human entertainment, and it's, it's a horrible way for them to live. And I don't think the people who attend circuses and, and these little attractions truly understand what's going on behind the scenes. So they go in completely innocently, and by being there, they're actually supporting and encouraging this to continue. Oh, they do, because the trappings of the circus is so much fun. It's the bright lights and wonderful colors and all sorts of wonderful things to see. And then they trot out a couple of elephants, and and the elephants perform. And I don't think people sit there and realize that in the wild you will not see an elephant stand on its head. There's mm. no there's no uh, evolutionary reason for them to do Absolutely that, and, it, and they wind up crushing their necks and skulls Aww. after doing this for a period of years. They have severe arthritis in their necks. They can't bend their necks. Um, they have tremendous injuries to their joints because of the tricks that they're forced to perform are not natural to their behavior. Absolutely. And how can people make a change so that this sort of thing does not continue. What can people do? People feel, often they feel powerless to do anything to make a change. I think that um, maybe boycotting the circus, but telling them why, or going to your your town, uh, because any circus before it performs has to have a permit to put on those performances, and speaking to the people in your town and saying, well, we'd, we'd love to have a circus, 
but we don't want the animals. The animals um, are just not well cared for. And if, if enough people get together, you can make a difference. I mean, Ringling's Brothers, to bring up a, um, one example, was taken to court because of elephant cruelty that had been captured on video. And they're a very large circus, and there's a lot of other circuses out there where elephants are, are very badly treated, where horses are lame, and they come out and they're performing and limping. And just develop a, a sharp eye for what you're seeing and what's going on and ask questions. Is this a natural behavior, a, a whipping a lion to make it jump through a hoop of fire? Is this, is this really something a lion would do, and what ramifications does it have for this animal to have to do this? Now, there are some rescues out there that take in uh, former performing animals. Um, can you tell me a little bit about those and, and the job that they do? Oh, absolutely. There's PAWS, which is P-A-W-S, and it's the Performing Animal Welfare Society. They have uh, one branch is in California, and it's run by Pat Derby and Ed Stewart, and they have taken in animals, not from, uh, not only from um, circuses, but from zoos where they have very uh, been very badly treated, and they, they have a, just huge amounts of property and a big safe barn, and these animals are allowed to roam and, and be fed and never be bothered by people again. There's another sanctuary in Hohenwald, Tennessee, called the Elephant Sanctuary. And you can find these, these uh, sanctuaries online because they need donations. Elephants eat a lot and need a lot of medical care. And uh, the sanctuary in Tennessee has taken in many, many, many circus elephants that uh, just lived in uh, deplorable conditions and now live in big, a big, comfortable barn, and again, they can roam this big, beautiful piece of property and be fed and, and never um, have humans touching them or bothering them. They don't have to perform anymore. They can just live their lives out in safety and in comfort. Wow, that's just really wonderful. You know, I want to get back to your book because... We have such a short amount of time, and it's so fun talking to you. You have so many interesting things to tell us. But let's uh, let's tell our listeners where they can find your book. Well, actually, uh, both your books. It's everywhere. <laughs> okay. It's in it's in uh, Borders, Barnes and Noble. It's on Amazon. Uh, it's in Costco. Uh, it's uh, probably in your local bookstore. If it's not, beat the doors down and make them order it to you. <laughs> But it's avail it's generally available everywhere. Okay. Very easy to get. Wonderful. And Judy, do you have your own website where you share a little bit about elephants? Yeah, I have a website and um I have links to uh each of these sanctuaries that I mentioned, plus a few others and, and what you could do. And it's www.judyreensinger.com. Okay, very good. Judy, it is a wonderful book. I had a chance to read it over the last couple of weeks, and I highly recommend it to our listeners. So thanks so much for being on the program today and talking with us. Thank you. It is time now for a quick message from the station, but don't go away. We'll be back with Kathy Brodsky, who has created some delightful children's books about animals. Stay with us on the Pet Place Radio Show here on Retro 1260.
Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt, and it is my pleasure to introduce a very special children's book author, Kathy Brodsky. I'm so happy to hear have you here at the Pet Place this morning. Thanks so much, Marie. I'm glad to be with you. Now, I had the opportunity to read a couple of your lovely children's books, and I would like to share this all with our listeners. So tell me about some of your titles. Well, the, the, the two books that you're referring to are um, Just Sniffing Around, which is about dogs, and Persnickety, P-U-R-R-S-N-I-K-I-T-T-Y, which is about cats. And I loved Persnickety. That was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> my kids liked it, too. And they're, all, they're, they're kind of past the children's book age. My youngest is 12, but... The, the illustrations are just gorgeous, and the story is just adorable. Aren't they? Yeah, they're really, the illustrator, my illustrator is really, really good. And, and I didn't have a cat, so we had a cat contest to find a winning cat. Tell me about the contest. That sounds really interesting. Well, I had it, for, for just sniffing around, I, we, I used my dog, who was still alive at the time, Callie, who was a dog to Bordeaux. And I didn't have a cat, so I was working out one day at the gym, and I said to myself, I'm going to have a contest. And then I said, people will donate um, to an animal shelter when they send in um, pictures of their pets, of their cats. And that's what they did. We, we raised um, $700, almost $700 for animal shelters. We just did it pretty locally because the illustrator was going to choose the winning cat. And he first he said that the cat had to come to, um, you know, to, to Manchester, I'm, I'm in New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire, but then he realized that cats don't travel well. No. <laughs> so, so he changed his mind. So and did he so, just use photographs then? Yeah, we just used photographs, and um, it was really a lot of fun. We had 49 entries, and, um, and then we ended up having another contest after that, which is about a book that will be out in December. Oh, um, yeah, okay. and we raised over $2,000 for animal shelters. For well, that that's one. wonderful. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, it might seem like it's a, a small amount, but I tell you, animal shelters appreciate every little bit they can get. Yeah, I it's think It's a they, difficult I, time. Yeah, and and um, what I did for Persnickety, um, I checked with all my cat-loving friends. So people who look at the book, they say, you really know cats. And I only lived with a cat once for a very short period of time, so I really relied on my cat-loving friends. And ah. I think that's, you know, that's why you know, cat people really can connect. They, be, I, they always say, that's my cat. You exactly, know? exactly. No, Persnickety totally captures the average cat personality. It's incredible, <laughs> and it's lots of fun, too. And, and I think even if a child can't yet read, just flipping through the pages and looking at the pictures is just a wonderful experience. Yeah, the illustrator does that. We work very well together. He and I collaborate all the time, and he really just gets it. You know, he just gets it. He's he's a, a wonderful person to work with. I'm, I'm lucky. And then in the back of my books, I always have questions. So they can, you know, even even the younger kids like the rhyme and the pictures, as you say, and the older kids get you know get the story a little bit more and then they they go with the question so it works out well now what would you say the age range is for the books the recommended i would say i would say about 3 to 9 or 10 in general okay but but then you know there're always variations on the theme um sometimes older kids just love it i had 
somebody from one of my other books who bought it for his 14-year-old granddaughter. Mm -hmm. And then there are a lot of adults who just love the pet books, and they say, you know, I don't care how old I am, I just love this book. So it's it really, but in general, in general, I mean, when I go to grammar schools, the oldest grade level I've gone to is seventh grade because I talk about writing and everything, too. Okay. And what inspired you to write a collection of books about animals? Well, you know, it's it's really a funny story. Um, my mother had a birthday party uh, nine years ago. I put a poem in with a family invitation. I said, this is fun, and I just started writing. And the first book I wrote was about a little girl who sees a crooked pine tree. And um, the next book I wrote was about an envelope that goes to the mail system. And I was at a women's group one day, and somebody emailed me after. I had been giving a talk, and she said, well, I do things with dogs. You should really do a dog book. So I thought, okay. And then I was at another women's group, and somebody came up after me and said, well, if you're doing a dog book, you need to do a cat book. And and then the one after Persnickety, the way I thought of that title was last summer, a year ago when we were having the contest, I saw these two guys I knew. I said, do either of you have a cat? And one of them said, no, but my dog Annie could win a cat contest. And that gave me the idea for the next book, which will be out in December. It's called The Winner Is, mm-hmm. and it's about a dog who's bored at home, sees a poster that says your cat can be a star, and he has to make all these changes. He has to learn to purr and meow, <laughs> and he has to get con- It's really going to be very funny. He has to get contact lenses, and he has to get a wig because cats have more hair. He has to get claws. It's really a very funny book. Well. So that's kind of, each thing kind of leads to the next, to the next. You know, I'm sure that's what happens with you, too, with everything. You never know where something's going to go. That's for sure. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what kind of response are you getting to the book so far? I'm getting very, very good response. I really am. Um, you know, people like them, and they like the messages that are in the back. You know, they like the messages, and they they like the questions in the back. Um, by profession, I'm really a psychotherapist, a clinical social worker. And so the questions kind of, they, they go along in general with the story, but then they also have some, it, like in Persnickety, a dog shows up. And then the questions have to do with cats and everything, but, you know, do you have other pets? You know, what was it like when a second pet entered your house? And then I go back to the um, the family dynamics. You know, are you are you the oldest in the family? What was it like when you've got another, you know, a brother or sister, so they kind of, they lead to more discussion. So um, the books kind of grow with the kids. That's the response I get in general. That's fabulous. And and how about educators? Have you had any feedback? Oh, it's been, thanks for asking. It's just been really, really good with teachers. Um, I spent one, a whole day at one school um, this past spring, and then um, another school a year ago used two of my other books for their lesson plans for the whole week. One is about recycling and um, change in the mail system. The other one is about conservation and diversity. Mm. So it's really been, and teachers really like, they, they like the, you know, they, they li- I think they like the whole package because, beca- again, because of the questions in the back. It, it, they don't have to work so hard <laughs> with their <laughs> lesson plans. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Tell me about the book that was inspired or that your dog started. Um, that's called Just Sniffing Around. And um, 
I had a wonderful, wonderful dog to Bordeaux, a French Mastiff, like a Turner and Hooch dog, and she was just great. She saw me through a lot of trials and tribulations, and when that woman came up to me afterwards and said you should, or emailed me and said you should do a book about dogs, right away I thought about um, having my dog Callie as the star, but making it general. So it's all the things that dogs do, all the things that endear, you know, endear them to us and us to them. Just, you know, from sticking their head out of the car window to wanting what's on our plate when we're eating to, um, <laughs> you know, all just, you know, how, how they feel when they go to the vet to barking at the door when, you know, that's their job. Yeah. Just so that's, that's, what, that's, that's how that book came about. Do you have some more animal stories planned in the future? I know you have the one coming out in December. Yeah, but, uh, and then I have another one. <laughs> uh, you know, you never know where something's going to lead. In, in that, in that um, there's a grouping of lines in that book because the, the dog is trying to, um, to learn to be like a cat, as I told you. And I just had a silly verse in there that said, Cats groom themselves. They lick all over. How will I learn? I'll ask my friend Stover. And I just thought it would be funny because Stover is a pig. And so he's looking in the, you know, the pig is grooming himself in the mud, you know. And, and it's a really funny, it's just a funny scene. And two different people on two different days said to me, you have to do a book about Stover. Oh, so there the you next, go. Yes, yeah, so the next book is called Stover, and it's about a pig with a secret life. <laughs> so it's really going to be very cute. Oh, and, wow. And then there'll be another book. Somebody at um, a local bookstore said people are always asking for horse books. So the book after Stover will be a book about um, a therapeutic riding horse named Special. It's called The Horse Named Special. Oh, that is so sweet. You know, we've had uh, some guests on our show in the past who are from a local therapeutic riding oh, center. Oh, that's fabulous. And, and their horses are so gentle Oh, they're and wonderful. So and sweet. they're wonderful. I, I went and took some photographs, and I want the illustrator to come back, to with me so he can really get a sense. And um, I decided we would have another contest so that people, so we, we would, to find the horse. See, we always have the, the star and then three runners up, and um, the star will be throughout the book, and then the three runners up always get some picture in there. Okay. And we will, then people will donate to Horse Rescue Association. Oh, wonderful. So I thought we are going to do that. So you must have a website that's promoting these contests. So. I do. Oh, you're so good, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, Brodsky, B-R-O-D-S-K-Y dot com. Wonderful. Kathy, encouraging children to read with these wonderful animal stories helps them in so many ways. And I am just so happy you were able to create these and tell our listeners about them. Thank you so much, Maria. I really enjoyed being on your show. Thank you. You are very welcome. And we need to take one last break of the day, but we'll be right back here on the Pet Place Radio Show on Retro 1260. Don't go away. the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewlett, and it's time for Pet Place News and Events. On Saturday, September 11th, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., the Pet Rescue Center will be holding a special adoption event at the PetSmart in Lake Forest, located at 23602 El Toro. For more information, visit www.thepetrescuecenter.org. 
And don't forget to visit www.petplace.org for more Pet Place news and information. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too. We'll be back next weekend here on Retro 1260. I'm Marie Hewitt. Please stay new to your pets and have a wonderful day. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.